So I'm just going to pray and then um, bring the message today. So Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the life of your word. Thank you that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it gets right into us. It gets right into us. And Lord, often where we don't even know ourselves the motives for why we're doing what we're doing, Thank you, Lord, for your gracious working through your word by your spirit where you open us up and you help us to see straight. You open us up, Lord, and you you win our hearts freshly. And so, Lord, we look to you today for fresh instruction from the Bible. We pray for the Holy Spirit to really help me as I speak and help all those who listen in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Great. So we live in an an age of um, significant cynicism. we live in an age of deflated and defeated hopes. Um, we live in an age of disappointment with things that many would have put their hope in generations ago. There's deep disappointment with family, um, deep sense of insecurity around career and future economic stability, um, global safety, that, that whole thing has been shaken. And many, many things are being and will be shaken right to the foundation and the result is is that in many many quarters um, there's now serious skepticism concerning whether or not there is truly a big story a grand narrative whether life really is going somewhere whether there is someone behind it who is writing it whether there is true purpose and true meaning there is serious skepticism in many many quarters now about that and um, we can look at all kinds of reasons as to why. Um, but the, the many professing Christians also have put their hope in things that are not eternal, but put their hope in things that are temporary, whether it's career, money, just a, uh, a comfortable life. And as a result, the church in many quarters is looking as shaken as the world, as those things are demonstrated to be untrustworthy and what the Bible says there, which is temporary. But the deepest cry of our heart is for meaning, is for purpose, is for a sense that my life does mean something, that, that there is such thing as love, that there is such thing as truth, that there is such thing as courage, that there is meaning behind relationships, that it's not simply a meaningless exercise of futility. And not only that, it's not just that we long for there to be a deep, a, a deep meaning and a true story. We long to have a place in it. We long that we might feature in it in some way, both I and we, and that we might have a part to play in that story now. And in the book of Acts in the Bible, in chapter 13, verse 36, it describes King David as one who served the purpose of God in his generation. It sums it up perfectly. He served God's purpose, the great story, the true story in his generation. He, was, he, he engaged in the now of God's eternal story. He was used in the now of God's eternal story. And so that joining together of the great, the great overarching narrative of the whole of history and, and, and me, my life, us, our life now in that is surely, is, those two things coming together uh, are the main goal of what we're about, or the main goal of what we all long for. It's the aim. It's why we're in the room. You're either in the room for, for one way or another, for that reason, whatever category you're in. If you're a believer, 
You're here today because you believe in a big story. You believe that, 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 that history is his story, that something is being written that is going somewhere that means something and that he has laid a hold of you and woken you up to that and, he, and your life plays a part in his purpose. That somehow it matters. It matters what you do. It matters how you live. It matters the decisions that you make in the grand purpose. You're in the room because you want to go on being instructed in that. You want to keep gathering with the saints and staying in good heart and good courage as we go on that pilgrimage, as we go on that journey of following the Lord. That's why you're in the room. Or maybe you're here and you're not yet a believer. You, you couldn't hand on heart say, I'm a disciple, I'm born again. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. You couldn't hand on heart say that, but you want to find out more. You've chosen to come here today because there's questions, you're searching in some way, there's something going on on the inside whereby you want to find out if there is a meaning beyond simply what we see with our eyes and whether you could have a part in that. And so one way or another, this is the huge question. Is there such thing as the purpose of God? And if so, can I serve it? Can we serve it in my, our generation? You see, what the Bible does is this. The Bible, the scriptures introduce us to an understanding of life that is actually most consistent with what we all know deep, deep down. The Bible introduces us to the understanding of human dignity. You read the Bible, you understand why killing a cat is different from killing a human. Not that killing a cat is a good thing. I could point to one or two in the room who think it is, but that's a different thing. The Bible shows us why killing a cat is different from killing a human because the Bible helps us to understand about human dignity. It unpacks it for us. It makes sense of what we know in the depths of our heart. The Bible makes sense of human corruption. The Bible helps us to understand how people with such incredible um, abilities and with such incredible uh, facilities and such amazing resources can cause the amount of destruction that they do. The Bible gives us the answer for that. The Bible helps us to understand, make sense of it, the Bible helps us understand about human potential, what there is, what there is inside of us, what has been placed in us, and what that can look like, where that can go. The Bible helps us understand about the human need, the human need for meaning, the human longing for meaning. Why, why we cannot shake off this thing called love? Why thousands of years on we're still singing about it? We can't get away from it. Why, why this thing drives us forward more than anything else? All of these things are answered and unpacked in the Bible and helps us to begin to engage with this big story, this great meaning. All the big stuff is covered in here. Now there's 101 angles at which we could begin to talk about how we could realise our place in God's purpose. And over the next five weeks, we are going to choose an angle at which to come at it. And the angle that we are choosing is the least snazzy, the least sexy, and the least appealing of any angle that we could possibly choose. Hence the title of this series, Consistent. (laughs) Boring, boring. Who said that? Oh gosh, my wife. Uh, but it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> consistent. Even those dots, they're all like in the same, they're in uniform, they're in, a, in rows. But as, as, as leaders, we were talking a few months ago, and you know, we, we meet every Tuesday morning after the prayer meeting, and we pray and we talk and we grapple with what do, what, do we, what do we feel we need as a church? And we came up with, we, we found ourselves talking around this whole subject of just learning to grow in consistency, or perhaps a more biblical word would be steadfastness. 
we want to engage you with this and we, we want to unpack it and help us to, to consider it. You see, without consistency, without steadfastness, we run the serious risk of unrealized potential. It's true. My dad's about two inches shorter than me. He's never quite got over it. And he's got, every time, we, every time the, when the subject of height comes up, he'll start talking about how he was malnourished as a child. It's like, oh, here we go, change the record. And um, I think it's just him trying to deal with the fact that I overtook him at some point. But actually, you know, it is true in the natural. It is true. People are getting taller and people are getting taller, generally speaking, because people are understanding more about diet and more about nourishment and more about how to look after yourself. And as a result, the potential that is in us innately is being realized on a natural level. It's just a natural illustration to help you understand that if you are if you show inconsistent attention in the natural sense to nourishment, it can hinder what you could have been. As in the natural, so in the spiritual. I was pondering it. I think I might have told you this a few months ago. I was, I was somewhat perturbed. <laughs> I went away for a couple of days to retreat and I'm praying and it, it didn't feel very, I don't know how to put it, it didn't feel very retreaty. You know, you imagine it. I'm going on a retreat. And, um, you know, when you're a charismatic Christian, you go on a retreat, you know, your expectations are high. And a few hours in, it's kind of like, it's pretty normal. And I'm praying and I'm thinking, you know what, Lord, I don't really, I don't really get it because I've been born again. I've been born again. That's a, that, you know, it's a miracle when you're born again. It's a, it's a miracle of God. Jesus described it as being born of the Spirit. John in his first chapter says it's not, it's not, it's not being, like being born of human will or being born of the flesh. It's being born of God. I mean, it's like, wow. When I was 18 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. I was born again. I wasn't who I was anymore. I was still, I still looked the same. My God-given personality and temperament still the same. But my moral center had been absolutely revolutionized. There were brand new desires in me that weren't in there before. Other things I used to love, I found myself retracting from, I'm no longer comfortable with. I was a new creation. Jesus lived in me by his spirit. I was born again. It's extraordinary. It's a miracle. I didn't do anything. I didn't go on a... Course, courses are fine, but that's not how it worked for me. I don't even know quite what happened. I was in a Christian meeting because my mum offered to pay for me to go on a Christian holiday. It was a free holiday. I had no money. I was a barman. It was on about £2.50 an hour. And she said, I'll pay for you to go. I said, okay, fine, I'll go. I liked a girl that was going. That was my motivation for going. I wasn't even spiritually searching. And at some point in a meeting, I don't even remember who said what, I found myself giving my heart to Jesus. Extraordinary. What happened there? The Holy Spirit worked on me and made me brand new. I was born again. Effort on my part, zero. <laughs> Just a work of God, a work of grace. Born of God. And so I'm on this retreat and I'm just like, Lord, you know, like you, I'm born of God. <laughs> and I'm praying and it feels very normal. And I'm thinking about the whole thing of spiritual disciplines and prayer and reading the Bible and I'm, I've kind of, I'm, I'm battling within myself thinking, Lord, I feel like it should be easier than this. I'm born of God. <laughs> I feel like it should just always click. I feel like it should just always be, you know, and I know that's probably not mature thinking. I'm just being honest. I was, I was battling with that. And then I got to thinking about 
what it's like naturally. That actually, when you are born, there's, there's, there's something of a miracle in that, right? You don't do anything, do you? you just arrive. All of us just arrive, right? There's no plan on our part, we just arrive. But then actually what goes on is, is years of nourishment, years of very consistent feeding. Especially those early years. The, the, the life is there miraculously, but there is actually much to be done to nurture that life. Much to be done. Much to be done to bring that life to maturity, whether it's physical maturity, intellectual maturity, social maturity, emotional maturity, with God's gracious help, spiritual maturity. There's much, there's much to be done on that journey. And so I, I just kind of realized that I was in some way divorcing in an unhelpful way just the reality of nurture from my expectations. And I just felt God really helped me with that and helped me to understand there's work to be done. And the more in- inconsistent I am with it, then the, 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 I will be found out. The results will tell. There'll be a, a lack of nourishment. It will be like, it, it, you know, if, I, if you speak to someone that's just literally, you know, eating a Mars bar a day and that's it for the last two weeks, they're not going to be in a good way. There's just, there's been an inconsistency around the nourishment something, and, they, and they're feeling it. And I just realized, wow, there's just something about putting the good stuff in. And it might sound really obvious, but you know when you just see it freshly, you think, yeah, actually, this is a really spiritual thing to do, just to be giving time to pray, even when it doesn't feel like, wow, reading the Bible. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you just feel, I could do this for hours. It's it's coming alive. Other times, it's not like that. And you just keep feeding, just keep putting in. And this is why I realized, as in the natural, so in the spiritual. And it helped me to realize that the consistency of my, of our engagement with all that God has made us alive to makes a huge difference in our experience of it. If you're born again, you've been made alive to the gospel, to incredible things, by God's grace. But my consistency in terms of nourishing that and feeding that makes a significant difference to my enjoyment of it. To the sense of that thing growing in in my consciousness, just the awareness of his presence more and more. As I grow closer and closer to him, through drawing near to him, through choosing to fellowship with him. Compared to when I am just inconsistent and distracted. And that tells because it's a relationship. It's a real relationship. And over these next, well, four weeks, I'm introducing the the series. Over the next four weeks after this, we're going to look at consistency and joy. Just learning how to be consistency, delighting in God. We're going to look at consistency and thankfulness. That's an incredibly important area of life to look at. Consistency and generosity. And consistency in terms of getting into the scriptures themselves. And every week we're going to introduce someone, uh, someone from church and just do a short uh, interview with them. and just, just to kind of give a bit of a window into people's lives and things that have helped them. So this week I'm going to interview Mac Tuno. So you want to give it up for Mac? We're going to sit here because that will help you to see us. We realized if we sat on the floor that some of you would be looking at the backs of our heads, and it's not much fun, is it? So, Mac Tuna, everyone. So, um, yeah, great. So, we, 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 I've asked Mac a few questions in advance just, just so that he would have a time, chance to think about it. And so, I'm going to just ask you how many is it? It's uh, just four questions. The first one is How do you hold together these sort of twin ideas that you are saved by grace? You're saved as a free gift from God. Um, but also the central importance of spiritual discipline in your life. 
Um, so when I was thinking about this question, I suppose it's that tension. So sometimes I'm naturally a very disciplined person. I grew up in a very disciplined household. But probably I would say early on in my Christian life, it was probably a bit to an extreme. So it's like I need to pray for this many hours and read the Bible this many times. And I think in a way that's, that was helpful, but sometimes I missed something of just the grace of God. So I find that sometimes throughout my life, I kind of shift from a place of understanding that actually my salvation and my relationship with God is a free gift and also um, kind of shifting between that position and shifting to a place where I'm maybe too kind of see God as like a drill sergeant where I need to read and pray and do all these things. So it's like it's always been a tension between the two. I think the most useful thing is keeping in step with God. So it is a bit of a tightrope, but I suppose of any tightrope, each step that you take, you have to look at your balance and, and think to yourself, am I maybe shifting a bit much towards this direction or a bit much towards that direction? And the most helpful thing has been friends and people who can challenge me. So for example, say I said to a friend and they said to me, oh, so how's things this week? And I just said, oh yeah, I just, you know, it came out that I was just, you know, catching a few prayers here and there. And I had a friend who would, was able to say to me, oh, but, you know, have you read your Bible? That might just challenge me and make me think, well, maybe I'm getting a bit unbalanced here. Maybe I should just pick it up or try and do something more proactive and disciplined. So mm. I think friends and people that challenge you has probably been the best way of Helping. keeping our balance. Yeah, yeah. Okay. if Great. that makes sense. What areas of discipline have you found most helpful in your um, life as a disciple? I would say trying to get anything into me by any means necessary. So what I mean is sometimes you look at discipline and you think to yourself, I'm going to do what other people do. But actually, for me, it's about how do I get truth inside me? So it's a bit like I might not read the Bible, I might listen to it. Mm. I might decide to listen to a particular preacher that I like. I might listen to a song that has truth in it. So sort of my emphasis is I need to get truth in. How can I get truth in within my lifestyle? So at the moment, for example, I drive one and a half hours every morning to work and one and a half hours back. And I found this being useful to listen to a preach on a podcast for 45 minutes and then pray for 45 minutes while I, while I drive. Now that's, that's specific to my season mm. and specific to my life. But sometimes because my life is so busy, it's, I just need to think to myself, I need to get food in, get truth in by any means necessary and do what works for me. What seasoning do I like on my food? <laughs> so the same way that if you gave me a chicken breast and said, eat the dry chicken breast, I probably wouldn't eat it. But if you put a certain seasoning on it, I'd love it and I'd, you know, um, wolf it down. So with God's truth, what seasoning works for you? Do what works for you by any means necessary. That's kind of mine. Okay. Okay. And if you were speaking to someone new in the faith, someone who's just starting out, <clears throat> maybe they're thinking about becoming a Christian, or maybe they've just given their life to Christ, what, um, what advice would you say to them? Um, the advice I give is find... The, the, one of the most important things for me is to find a Bible version that I <clears throat> find sort of relevant and accessible. It might sound quite particular, but... Sometimes there's different versions of the Bible written in kind of different types of English um, according to what people kind of prefer in a way. And I've found that actually if there's a, if there's a Bible version I'm reading that sounds it, that is written in an accessible way, it means I can take it in easier. Um, so again, I suppose using the idea of food, it's a bit like I like my food a certain way. So <laughs> I would rather kind of take God's truth in, in, in a particular way. So there's a certain version which when I read it, the Bible comes to life. The truth comes to life for me. And also, um, 
I would say get people around you um, a bit like a training buddy. If you go gym or if you exercise, if you have someone around you who's a training buddy who can help you figure out ways to train. Sometimes when you train, you might plateau or you might not be progressing the way you want to plateau in a, in a physical sense. And I think it's similar in a spiritual sense where actually if you're kind of new to, say you were going to the gym for the first time and you saw the bikes and the weights and all these things, you'd feel a bit like, oh, what, what do I pick up? What do I do? But actually if you had someone with you who was in, who'd been in it for a bit, they could come alongside and say, oh, look, this is how you do this or this is how you do that. And then you get comfortable and then before you know it, you're going yourself and you're waking up at 7 a.m. in the morning to go train. So no, that's, <laughs> that's probably the way I would... Yeah, yeah kind of describe it that's good final question what would you say to someone a believer a disciple but they feel stuck in a rut um i'm always stuck in ruts um <laughs> three actually is interesting about probably last october i was stuck in a rut the thing that got me out of the rut was i was doing a training track now it's funny because sometimes say for example you were trained say for example you were a couch potato and someone said to you tomorrow in two months you're going to run the olympics you're going to run a race you'd suddenly start training because you knew you had the Olympics coming up. So if you actually serve in church or you start to actually get active as a, as a Christian, sharing the gospel and yeah. be in that light you're meant to be, then suddenly you find that actually you realise, wait a minute, I need to kind of step up here. So you become more disciplined. Um, the other thing I'd say is that when you're in a rut, God has a way of kind of reaching you. Um, so three weeks ago, for example, I was a bit overwhelmed with anxiety and I, um, do I have time to share some quickly? Yeah, yeah. You know, in the films where you see those romantic sort of films where there might be a guy who proposes to a woman and he, he has a thread that goes all the way around the house and leads to a ring. Yeah. Um, do you know that? So there, there, I watched this film once. There was this kind of proposal where the guy said, look, I'm going to propose to you. And what he did was he put a small kind of string and the string led all the way around the house to the ring. Yeah? And sometimes when I'm in a rut, I feel like God gives me a shred of something. It might be I've listened to a preach or someone said something to me and it feels like God says to me, there's something in that. Then what I do is I follow it. I get in scripture, I go and pray, and so- somehow, before I know it, I found a ring, I found something beautiful, I found a treasure, and then that gets me out of the rut. So there's something very practical about getting out of a rut sometimes, but also there is something where God's grace is always there. If you're in a rut, he finds you. He's never going to let someone be, let the devil snatch you out of his hands, so he's faithful in that way. Great. Does Thanks. that make yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Watch that film. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you, mate. It's great. <clears throat> Just to say, if you're, if you're new to the sort of Christian world and you're <clears throat> a bit confused by the whole thing of Bible versions, let me just put your mind at rest there. The, the original Bible, the Old Testament, the bit before Jesus was written in Hebrew and the bit after was written in Greek. And therefore, if you were to literally, literally translate it word for word because of the way those two languages work, grammar-wise, it literally would, you, you wouldn't, it doesn't work linguistically. Therefore, every Bible translation in English needs to be an, essentially a translation. And so, and as those translators are working, what they are doing is they're they are obviously working. Their priority is accuracy, but also readability is very, very important. And so, there are a number of Bible versions that are good, strong, accurate versions, that, where the meaning the meaning in every one, the New International Version, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the meaning has remained absolutely consistent all the way through. There's nothing been corrupted in that sense. But for purposes of readability and phraseology, they're slightly different. So that's what's going on there. There is only one Bible. Okay. 
Thanks, Mac. That was great. So I want to just help now to say a few practical things help us to engage um, uh, with this. Consistency is a mark of maturity. Consistency is a mark of maturity. You get images in the Bible like pillars, people being pillars in the house of God. A pillar is something that can hold weight. It's somewhere that you, it's there and it's, it's still there. And it's a good, good job it's still there because if it wasn't there, we'd be in trouble. Okay? God makes people into pillars in his house. And those people become pillars by a steadfastness. Other phrases or images used are a tree planted by waters or an oak of righteousness. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Andy. An oak of righteousness. So it's fine. I had a memory of the evening service years ago where I had a can of Pepsi <clears throat> before the sermon and it didn't go well afterwards. But um, water's good. Water was a good choice. Um, oak of righteousness. An oak of righteousness, those roots are so, so deep there that that, that that tree is able to provide shade for many. And you've got these images in the Bible that I think when we hear about them, we all go, yeah, we aspire. We think, yeah, I want to be like that. But there's no getting away from the fact there's something solid and steadfast and consistent about those images. There's, there's, there's something that has gone on in those, in those spiritual pillars, those spiritual oaks of righteousness, whereby they're able to handle weight. They're able to give shade because of the depth, because of what has been worked into those people. Steadfastness is a very beautiful attribute that God wants to put in us. In fact, I think steadfastness is one of the things we most appreciate about God. I mean, it's such a wonderful, glorious thing that at any moment of the day, I can open the Bible and it says the same thing. <laughs> Speaks of his faithfulness, his steadfastness. He's not, he's not capricious. He's not moody. doesn't say one thing one day and then take it back. He is a covenant-keeping, steadfast God. His love and his mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. When we gather on the Tuesday prayer meeting, 7 a.m. and all walk in like that, and then you start praising him and you remember, your mercies are brand new to me today. Just lifts your heart. <clears throat> There's nothing stayed about steadfastness. Steadfastness, when you're around it, lifts your heart. It lifts your soul. It provides spiritual safety. This is what we so love about the Lord. And you know, we are made in his image. God's plan was to make us, let us make man in our image. God desires for us to be steadfast people. And praise God, in giving Jesus, God is able to, through Christ, renew his image in us, restore it in us, so that we can become steadfast men and women of God, consistent men and women of God. And let me say this, there's nothing bland about steadfastness. It's not boring. It's not dull. It is highly dynamic. There is, there is nothing, there's nothing about God that is emotionally flatlined. Nothing about God that is emotionally flatlined. In the Bible, we have, we have um, examples of God spinning with joy. Spinning with joy and singing songs over his people. What an image. We see Jesus described as the one anointed with the oil of joy above his companions. Man of joy. We see God shouting like a warrior, shouting, letting off that warrior's cry. There's nothing bland here. I'll tell you who's bland compared to God, we are. Nothing bland about God. 
We see Jesus driving people out of the temple. Such was his zeal for God's house. We see God gasping in labour pains before he brings judgment in the prophet of Isaiah. I will gasp and cry out like a woman in labour. He feels things so strongly. He is, he, as John Piper puts it, he has a complex emotional life. Any, any emotion that you feel in a righteous way is a reflection on him and who he is a reflection of him. He is not stoically removed from his creation. He cares deeply about his creation. He delights in the work of his hands. At times in the Bible we hear, read of him being broken hearted and grieving. We see Jesus weeping also. This is our God. This is our God. Steadfast, rooted, solid absolutely emotionally engaged and expressive. That's the image. I'm not going to try and import some cultural idea of what God is like. This is what we see in the word. Both of those things. Now, being steadfast is not about your temperament. Don't, whatever you do, be sitting and saying, well, I'm just not that time. I'm, 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 I'm a bit more, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm not steady Eddie. It's not me. I'm emotionally kind of up and a bit down. That is a different thing. We're not talking about what kind of person you are, what kind of temperament you have. We are talking about what God works into you by his grace and by his spirit as you let him. That he works character into you regardless of your personality. That he works godliness in you regardless of your temperament. And that you allow him to do that. That you yield to him. That you, are, you don't resist him and kick against him in that, but that you yield to him in that. This isn't about it's not what, you, what you prefer. It's not, about, it's not about routine either, actually. I hate routine. I find routine soul-destroying. Soul-destroying. The thought of praying at the same time every day, some people love it. It's like, ah, I found it. It's the same every day. I'm like, ah, awful. We're different. It's not about routine. It's about getting the right ingredients in the cake. It's about being disciplined. So I want, discipline and routine are different things. You can be disciplined saying, so I'm going to get the right ingredients in the cake. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to learn how to delight myself in him. But you know, that may be done in a very routine way or not. According to temperament. And I think that's why it's helpful. Mac was talking about what season you like. We haven't got to become bland and kind of uh, unhelpfully choreographed. In it, if you end up like a church of clones, where there's these unwritten rules that aren't in the Bible, you must pray at that time in the day. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't say that. It says pray. <laughs> Obey that. Pray. It tells you to be nourished, to, to, to meditate on his truth day and night, to, and that will make you be like a tree planted by waters. Obey that. Obey that. But don't create rules and then put yourself under them and say, why is it so heavy? Well, here's why it's so heavy. you just got a bunch of rules and put them on top of yourself that are not scriptural. But discipline, absolutely. Take charge of yourself. Get a hold of yourself. You know what it's about? Here's, here's why it's attractive. This is about Christ being fully formed in us. That's what it's about. Paul says to the Galatians, I am in labor pains until Christ is fully formed in you. He just longs to see them come to maturity. They'd come to know Jesus. They'd heard the gospel. They'd heard that Jesus Christ had been crucified for their sins. Paul said, I publicly portrayed Christ as crucified among you. I demonstrated to you that Jesus is enough. That the Father has sent his one and only Son so that whoever trusts in him 
Whoever, whoever looks to him, crucified, saviour, Jesus Christ, will be saved. Whoever looks to him, like in, in the Old Testament, they looked at the serpent, there was this plague, and then there was this bronze serpent, and, and, and it, Moses held it up, and whoever looked at it, the plague was instantly, they were healed in a moment. And Jesus said, just like that, whoever looks to the Son of Man when he is lifted up will be healed, will be saved. There's that look into Christ. There's that, Jesus, my eyes are on you and no one else. I'm coming to you. Jesus, I'm all yours. And praise God in that moment, you're healed, you're washed, you're born again. Yes. Yes. That is the gospel. And Paul says to the Galatians, but you're moving away from it. You're starting to add in other things. You're starting to add in Judaism, circumcision and dietary requirements. Now that may not be what you're adding in, but you can add things in. You get distracted from Jesus. I tell you now, he's enough for you. I tell you now, he is an, that is the big battle. Is he or is he not enough for your soul? Because the Bible says he is. Paul says to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? It's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. If you don't believe him, you'll look elsewhere. And you may try and embrace a kind of a Christian thing at the same time, but essentially you're looking elsewhere. It will, at some point, it will tell. At some point, you'll say, I can't serve two masters. Jesus said, you can't serve two. You'll end up hating one and loving the other. At some point, you can maybe do it for years. Some, some people, they, they, can, they just hold it together for years, but there's, 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 there's two things going on. It's not that you can't enjoy life and the blessings of life. Of course you can, but you've got to be about one thing. Essentially, the human heart can only be about one thing. Your heart can only be gripped with one thing. And the Bible says all things were made for him. You were made for a who, not a what. You were made for a who. All things were made for him. Colossians 1. All things were made through him and for him. You were made for him. You were made for him. And if you believe that, you will throw your lot in with him. And you'll say, Lord, I will give you my time. I will give you my resources. I will give you my energy because I, I, want, to, I want to know. I want the full realisation of what you have done in me. Oh, I tell you what, there's so much more for us to see and know. This, that's why Paul prays to the Ephesians. I pray you'll be filled to all the fullness of God. There's so much more to see and know. And that desire to know him better drives us forward. He says, I'm going to put that in place in my life because I want to know him better. And I'm going to end just a quick application. What God will use to help you grow in consistency. Number one, he will use teaching. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. As you you hear God's word and let it get into you, faith is strengthened. Faith comes initially and faith is strengthened. And like I said to you before, faith is the wellspring. Faith, all the other stuff, if it comes out of, I believe him. I trust him. I, tr- I trust his promises. I really do. And I trust that me pouring out my life for Christ is the wisest investment and will lead to the greatest joy. Bottom line, if you don't believe that, you won't. You won't. You'll hedge your bets. I, I tell you, you will hedge your bets. You'll have a, you go for a bit of this and a bit of that. Trust him. Trust him. So faith. Second thing is, this is an interesting one. This one might surprise you. Practice. Learn, learn to do, learn to do what you believe. Just learn to do. If, if he says, well, I believe in prayer, pray. What will happen is, is, as you pray, give time to prayer. Proper time to prayer. Yeah? Well, what you're doing is, you're praying. It's primarily what you're doing. I'm praying now. <laughs> 
As you do that, you will see God answer your prayers and you'll start saying, do you know what? God answers prayer. But you would never have known that if you hadn't prayed. How did you learn to pray? By praying. And what happens is as you then see God work in that way, your mind gets renewed. You say, this really works. And you could have read all the books on prayer in the world, but until you'd prayed, your mind would not have been properly renewed because your mind is renewed by more than information. Even spirit-inspired information, revelation, there is that putting into practice that reinforces that then you go, my mind is being renewed, I'm being transformed by this activity. The Bible says you get transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind gets renewed not just by reading the right stuff, but by putting it into practice because you say, this, God is true to his word. God is true to his word. So practice. Third thing, one another. There's four. Third thing, one another. Hebrews chapter 3. Very important scripture. It's why we do running partners and things like this in church. And I'm glad that Matt referred to fellowship and other people a lot in what you said. Because actually, biblically, it's really key. And we live in a really individualistic part of the world where we tend to just think, me and Jesus. There's no place for that kind of thinking in the, in the new covenant. It says this. It says, exalt one another every day. To exalt means to call one another up. To call, encourage is to kind of strengthen each other. To exalt is to say, come on, you can do it. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Wow. We need each other to say, come on, you can do it. Otherwise, we get quickly hardened in our hearts by sin. Sin goes around the side and blinds us. And you think, well, how did I, how did I find myself here? You got hardened. You weren't in fellowship. You were trying to do this thing alone. You were trying to do the isolated Christian life, which does not work. God's got more for you than that. God's got fellowship for you. Partnership. Warm, affectionate partnership with others as we spur one another on in the kingdom. And then finally, this one might surprise you, suffering. Suffering. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, Paul says this. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance means to, to bear up under something. To bear up, to stay there. When suffering comes, you have, to, you have to say, do you know what? I'm either going to escape or I'm going to bear up. And by God's grace, when you just say, I'm going to bear up, and you say, Holy Spirit, help me, and you call others in to pray and support, but you say, I'm going to bear up under this season, what happens is, is you suddenly realize after that season, you've become someone who can bear some weight. You become a pillar. You become a pillar in the household of God. Or during suffering, and God, it can seem like God's far away. And it's imagine if you're like a tree with roots. And what, but it feels like, where's the water? And so, and so the, the roots start to reach down further and further and deeper to reach for the water, to get to the water. And then you reach and you come through that season of suffering and you sense God's closeness and healing and comfort again. You go, oh, that's great. But as a result, your roots are deeper. The roots have gone down so the fruit can come up. That's how it works, you see. God uses these seasons of suffering, of hardship. But when you go, oh God, why is, it, why is it like this? And you can't answer it. And you know that you've, you know, it feels a bit bleak, but you know you've got a choice one way or the other. Either I'm going to trust him or I'm not. I'm going to trust him or I'm going to fix it. Or I'm going to trust him or I'm going to run away. Or I'm going to trust him or I'm going to get bitter. You know that's the choice that you've got. And in those seasons, as you say, I'm, I'm going to trust you, Lord, even though I can't see the way through here. I'm not going to light my own fires. I'm going to trust you. And they trust that you're going to bring this season through and out the other side. And I'll look back and I'll say, God, you were right. God, you were wise. God, everything you said you are, I say, amen, you are. And it felt like a distant memory at times. And it felt out of my reach at times. But you gave me the grace to stand. 
You gave me the grace to endure. And I've become someone who's able to stand and able to endure. You see, it's this consistency. This is what the Lord wants for us. And you know, God's got a great future for us as a church. You believe that, right? Yeah. God's got a wonderful destiny for us as a church. And what we're saying is we're just focusing on God. Make us big people. Make us big people. So we're focusing on discipleship and just letting God enlarge who we are on the inside. Because that's really the big deal. That's really the big deal. That we let God mould us and shape us into who he wants us to be. Because you know what God's strategy is? It always has been and always will be. God's strategy is this. Transform people. Transform. You can have the most amazing plan for your workplace or for your church. But if you're resisting God's transforming work, it's just pipe dreams. It's just ideas. It's just fancy flow charts. It's just, just, whereas you know what? And I'm not decrying plans. They're good to have. But you know what? You can have no plan, but you're walking closely with God. There will be impact. People will smell the aroma of Christ around you and either run a mile or want to know more. (laughs) There will be impact of some sort. And brothers and sisters, at the end of this sermon, I I want to just urge you, let us engage with this consistent series. Let us, let us not back away from stuff that, that takes years. Let's not, let's not be the microwave generation. We, we get so disorientated when things don't work overnight. You, you ever heard an inspiring sermon on prayer and then the next day you go at it? You know? And there's no tangible difference by nightfall. And you want to know why? It's the microwave generation. God rescue us from that. God is working on you for not, just for, not just for weeks, not just for months, not just for years or decades, forever. God, 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 God's plan, God's, God's work in you in this age is to equip you, is to prepare you, is to put things in you for eternity. This, it's good to have an urgency, but we've got to couple it with a patience. That's one of the tricks of the Christian life, to be able to walk in urgency and not, not just become lackadaisical, but to be able to say, I'm going to couple it with patience. Because it's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Amen? Amen. Wait to have a moment to respond. Sorry, it turned out to be a long one. Sorry. Um, thanks, Harry. <laughs> well, let's keep going. Then. No, no. Why don't, why don't we stand? Why don't you stand where we are? Maybe the, mus- the musicians. Andy could, <laughs> could just come. Do you know what? Just God's, God's grace is so immense, isn't it? It's just so immense. He's so kind to us. He's so patient with us. And you know, I love my kids the same, but I treat them differently, you know. I do. I've got a different rapport with every one of my children. Different rapport. Different chemistry. Different rapport. I, I know that they're motivated in different ways, and so I, I look to motivate them in different ways. For the same, the same goal is maturity. I want them to fly. Yeah, it's the same goal. I want them to fly. But I work with them differently because they're different. You know, God gives such tender attention to his children. He's got, we are his people. And he, he wants to bring many sons to glory. But you know, he gives such tender attention to us. And this is not, this is not about becoming something you're not. This is about allowing him to let you become mature. But you become mature. And I want to just, just give you a moment just to just be able, I want to, I want to ask. I mean, Tom, what Tom said earlier about the sandcastle, you know, God in his mercy, God in his mercy, sometimes even when we're, even when we're resistant and all that, he will, he will still get through to us. It's true. It's true. But you know what? Actually, 
actually, the, what's really important for us as his children is that we say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to, I don't, I know, Lord, that in your mercy, you might still get through to me if I, if I cover my ears, but I don't want to do that to you. I actually want to be really cooperative because I want to grow. And I think actually, it's, it, what, praise God that he gets through to us even when we're being foolish. But that's not, the, the application isn't therefore let's be foolish. The application is let's, 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 be, let's be those kids that are up for it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so let's just have a moment to just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm up for it.